Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you again this week as we continue our walk through the basics of multifamily real estate investing. This week, underwriting value add. We've looked at how to do an underwrite. We've built our basic model. We've played with it a little bit. So how do we use the underwrite to underwrite a value add opportunity? What makes one value add a better investment than another? Is it just the return or are there other factors? And if so, what are those other factors? That is what we're going to chat about this week. If you have any questions, please feel free to shoot me an email, pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And of course, you can always swing by the Learning Center at marapoling.com for lots of other great educational content. And if you have interest in participating in one of our upcoming webinars, you can register at the Learning Center. Uh, we'll also be posting some new webinars. Uh, that schedule should be coming up soon. I was hoping to get it done this last week, but I think we'll be another week maybe to get that up. Uh, and looking to get some live events on the schedule as well for the second half of the year. So with that, let's, uh, let's get to value add underwriting. So the, the notion of value add, if you're new to multifamily real estate, the notion of value add is can I find opportunities to make an improvement to the property, to add an amenity or improve the tenant experience in a way in which the tenant and more importantly, prospective tenants will find value in it such that they'll say, I'll pay X dollars for that item. Can I put in uh, hard surface countertops and have prospective tenants say, oh, those are really nice. I like them. I'll, I'll pay an extra $20 if I can have a hard surface countertop. Something along those lines. That's the whole idea of value add. We put money in, tenants respond and say, yes, we like it. They pay a higher rent or some other uh, increment of income. And from there, we increase NOI and that increase in NOI drives a return. That's the basic notion of how we do this. Our underwrite is designed for us to be able to do that so that we can go in and say, what if we were to do X? And we're gonna describe a couple of these in a minute. What if I did X? What if I invested this amount of money doing this improvement and I was able to generate this much additional income from it? I can calculate the individual return for that individual item, but I can also look at how that functions as a part of the whole. And that's what we really wanna try and get our arms around today. So let's talk a little about the factors that are involved when we're analyzing a value add project. Um, all value add projects are not the same. And that's, that's a good thing because there is no infinite amount of capital out there. We, we always have to make decisions about which projects we're going to fund right now, which ones we'll need to wait a little while, and which ones we may not ever get to because there isn't funding to support them. So return is one of those items, obviously. We want to look at 
what kind of return in terms of incremental cash and equity growth can we get by making that value add investment? So that makes a lot of sense. Another factor is how rapidly are we able to achieve that return? I'll give you two examples. We might have a value add opportunity that involves making an improvement that everyone on the property immediately uh, benefits from. Uh, it could be something where we're adding an amenity, uh, you know, a um, uh, you know something to the pool, uh, outdoor kitchen, uh, fitness facility, something along those lines. Uh, we're adding valet trash. Who knows what it might be? Could it be any of those kinds of things? But it's something we're doing for the entire property. We do it all at once, and the lease at that particular asset allows us to go ahead and pass that cost through at the time that we implement it. Some items are gonna be like that and some are not. Some are gonna require tenants to sign new leases. So you'll have to take a year to get that rolled out. But let's just assume for the time being that we're talking about an activity that we could do essentially instantly. One of those that I just described. So that would need to be taken into account in terms of I can invest this money and immediately begin seeing my return. As contrasted with, what if I made improvements to individual units, and then I was able to raise the rent on those units? As I said, maybe hard surface countertops or new cabinetry or something else. Well, I can't do everything all at once, right? All the properties would, uh, the units would need to be vacant for me to be able to make these improvements. So it takes time. We generally will underwrite two years to do in-unit improvements. And even then, you're not going to be able to get all the units done because not every unit will become vacant sometime during that two unit, two years uh, time frame. Many will, but not all. So it takes time to roll that out. Generally, those tend to be more expensive on a per unit basis, not terribly expensive, maybe a few thousand dollars, but you add that up over 200 units and you could be talking about you know, 600,000, 800,000, a million dollars of investment. Whereas a fitness center or valet trash or some other items might have very little cost uh, or very low uh, capital cost from that standpoint. So how quickly we begin to see the return is a factor. And when we plug that into the underwrite, that's going to show up because you were going to show when that revenue starts to come in. Another factor is how large is this investment? So we might have two value add projects we want to do. And one of them has a, just an enormous return. Uh, you know, we, maybe it's 50 or 60% cash on cash return and the equity growth is uh, you know, significant. We, we double our money, earn all of our money back and double it in uh, two years. Just, just an enormous return. And then we have another project where maybe it's 25% incremental cash and it takes several years to pay back and begin to see the equity growth that we want. But over five years, we've got you know, maybe 50% equity growth. Well, if one of those is, uh, obviously we'd love to put our money in the one that, that 
really moves the needle significantly uh, and rapidly. But if that's a $10,000 investment, and, and that's all it is, because it's one small item that we can do, whereas the other might be a million dollars, well, when I compare just the returns, I'm missing out on what the actual impact is to the property. Obviously, the investment at a million dollars that has 25% cash on cash and a very nice equity uh, bump, while not as significant on a pure return basis, in terms of how it actually impacts the asset, it's very significant. And so that's another reason we want to use the underwrite, not just some raw numbers when we look at it. All right, there's one last um, piece of the analysis. We're going to save that for the very end, though. Um, so let's talk about return. So we want to look at and understand the return. And the underwrite's going to look at it in several different ways. First is rent, right? So if we make an improvement, can we charge more rent? Maybe we add uh, a little outdoor fenced patio to uh, some number of the ground floor units. We can charge rent for that, right? We can charge a higher rent on those units. They're more pet friendly. They're very desirable. It's actually a very popular amenity and that can get us a really nice return. We could also do the traditional value add interior improvement, right? Where we do flooring and appliances and paint and cabinets and so on. And we might spend three or $4,000 or $10,000, but we put some amount of money into making improvements and that's gonna allow us to charge a higher rent because tenants, prospective tenants in particular, are going to say, that's an amenity that I find valuable. And when I look around the marketplace, that's worth X dollars. I'm willing to pay X dollars. And that increment up to X dollars is what becomes the value that we realize for this investment. So it might show up in that rent line, those kinds of items. We also can see it in the other income line, right? So it might be an item that we add that is charged as an other income. So uh, washer dryer rentals, right? So if there's hookups in the units and we purchase washer dryers and we install them and uh, maintain them for the tenants, that would be another income line. If we were to do some work with parking, uh, reserved, assigned, covered, those kinds of items, we'd see that revenue showing up in the other income line. Both of those, rent and other income, are really critical because they move that revenue line. Remember when we talked about financials, NOI is a very important number. And when we're underwriting an asset for purchase and when a lender is underwriting, they're generally using their own operating expense budget with the exception of utilities. They're absolutely they're looking at how that asset's been performing from a revenue standpoint. So if you can have improvements that filter down to NOI, it's better if they're revenue improvements because that will have more value when it comes time to sell. A dollar of NOI is a dollar of NOI. We, we love getting more NOI. But if you can get that on the revenue side, that's very positive. So these kinds of value-add projects would either drive rent or drive other income. There are value-add projects 
that don't necessarily or exclusively drive revenue. They also manage operating expenses. So these could be projects where we've identified by looking at the historical maintenance records that we've identified either a property-wide opportunity or something for an individual unit or a group of units, maybe a building where there is significant expense being expended every year that could be saved. For example, uh, we find that we have a large number of HVAC callouts every summer. And when we do an analysis, we find that it's actually 20 units that are accounting for 80% of those callouts. Well, what's it going to cost us to replace those 20 units? All right, let's spend the 80 or 90 grand it takes to replace those units. And we're going to get a return back in a couple ways. We're going to get a return back in terms of that lower operating expense, which is going to be a higher NOI. Now, I just said that if you could save it, if you can move NOI, you'd rather do it with revenue than operating expense. In this instance, this is something, not only is there value in it, but there will be value when it comes time to sell because we're gonna have this documentation to be able to show so that the prospective buyers can see that we've made an investment that in fact will reduce their operating expense long-term because they don't have these HVAC issues uh, to deal with. Uh, the same could be true, for example, if we had a, a plumbing issue, uh, maybe we have uh, uh, trees and roots that have grown into uh, waste pipes, rather than continually roto-rootering and leaping from problem to problem, we fix it, right? We take the trees out, we put new pipes in, and now it's a solved issue. That not only saves us money today, but that is something that will translate in the future. Um, there are other items that may not move NOI, but can ultimately be a part of having a gain when it comes time to sell. And these might be some items that are more exterior in focus, uh, not necessarily directly connected to rents, but they could support lease up. So these could be things like siding and painting and roofs and fencing. In particular, if those are items that need to be done and have been budgeted for, then it becomes a question of when to do that, right? And, and there isn't a perfect answer. It's one to really look at how you could model it out. On one hand, you might say, well, let's paint as early in our hold period as possible. Let's do siding and painting. And if the roofs need work, let's do those. Let's do everything we can so that we enjoy the benefit of that during the time frame that we own it. And then we want to do our best to translate that into all this great curb appeal we have to translate that into uh, greater lease up traffic, which is going to help us move rents uh, and generate uh, a return. Another school of thought would be to implement those as needed. And when we're within 18 months of exit, to then finish off whichever ones haven't been done, such that when we go to market to sell, the property is freshly painted, new roofs, 
fencing's all in great shape. All the items that when you're walking a property to purchase it, you're looking at it going, oh, those roofs look a little old, better set some money aside for roofs. Well, gonna need to paint this, need to set a couple hundred thousand aside for that. And now when that person submits their bid, they've presumed a bunch of expense that they're gonna have. Whereas if we take it off ahead of time, there's an opportunity to recover that at sale. So those are some of the ways that that return will manifest itself. There's one more gain at sale. I mentioned it a few moments ago, and we'll come back to that, like I said, at the very end. All right, so let's look at a couple of value adds, talk about how they would show up in the underwrite and, and the math uh, just on the back of the envelope kind of math. So the first one we're going to talk about would be uh, covered parking. Uh, and these numbers, by the way, are not um, from a project. These are, these are just numbers I'm using to illustrate the model. Uh, any one of these improvements we talk about, the costs are unique to that particular property and exactly what the design is of what you're doing. So for this example, we're going to say that we're going to be able to add some number of covered parking spaces. Spaces already exist. We're just adding the covers. And it's going to be $1,500 per space to do that. We're going to get $35 a month, which is $420 a year when fully occupied. And we're going to take about 90% of that or so, $375. We're going to say that's what we would actually see in terms of incremental NOI over the course of an entire year for each one of these. Well, $375. If NOI in this market is worth $20 for every dollar of NOI, so it's a five cap, if that's what it looks like, then that $375 added $7,500 to the value of the property. But remember, we spent $1,500, so we have to subtract that, right? Because that's $1,500 we had to put in. So the net gain in value is $6,000. So we got a $6,000 uh, increase in value on a mere $1,500 uh, investment. Uh, and that $6,000, say we did this initially and then we held the asset for the full five years, uh, that's 6,000 in gain. Uh, that's you know something like an 80% uh, annual equity growth on those incremental dollars. That's fantastic. The cash, $375, remember, per unit, per space on the $1,500 investment. That's about a 25% cash on cash return. Those are great numbers. But this is one of those, keep in mind, where it's a function of you know, how many we have. If we have a 300-unit property and I'm doing all of the units, all right, I don't know that that would happen, but that would make this look more like a, um, an interior improvement. Generally, though, you wouldn't be doing that. So let's say that you were only able to do uh, 50 of these. Well, that's a $75,000 capital investment. That's great. Invest $75,000, get a 25% cash on cash return, get an 80% annual equity growth out of it. That's great. But that has to compete against other projects that may have similar or even smaller returns, but could deploy more capital. So that's something that needs to be kept in mind. When you just do this on the 
back of the envelope, as I just described it, basically the math I just did, it can look like it's a great return. When you actually plug it into the underwrite, so you go in and you add the $75,000 to the capital plan, and you add the $35 a month to other income, and you put that in, in the time frame that you're going to deploy it, you'll see how it impacts the overall performance of the asset, which will be positive, but modest, because this is a small investment relative to the size of the asset. If this is an asset we have a $10 million investment in, investing $75,000 with this kind of return will be helpful. It's not going to move the needle overly dramatically in terms of our, in terms of our return. Let's take a look at another value add project that could move the needle a little more for the overall uh, investment. We're going to make an interior improvement for $4,000. Like I said, uh, appliances, paint, flooring, uh, do some work to the cabinets, some lighting, maybe something like that. $4,000. And in return, we are going to underwrite that we can get $100 for that. Maybe we've looked around in the marketplace and we're very confident that we could get more than that, but we're going to be careful at 100. Or the current owner, right? I'm doing this when I'm buying, the current owner has already done some of these improvements and they're getting $100 more. So I, I know at that property that this is worth $100. So I put that in my underwrite. Well, $100 a month, 12 months, it's $1,200. 90% of that is 1,080 or so. So I kind of use that as my, that's the net NOI number I'm going to assume I get. Again, at a five cap, that's $21,600 in incremental value. I spent 4,000 doing it. So my incremental gain is $17,600. Again, a really solid return on my $4,000 investment. And remember, this is 4,000 for every unit I do. So if I did 100 units, now I'm deploying $400,000 as opposed to 75,000 with the covered parking, right? I'm still getting about a 25% cash on cash return, a little over 1,000 a year against the $4,000 investment. I'm seeing a similar kinds of uh, return when it comes to... Um, uh, equity growth. And I can put more dollars to work here. So that could play a role in tipping the scales towards doing that. And again, the back of the envelope numbers handy, plugging it into the underwrite to see what it actually does. And this is one of those items that takes time. If we were in fact trying to do a large number of the units in the property, it would take two years or maybe even more to get all those done. And the reason for that is you can't do all of this work when people are still in their units. Flooring is a great example. You can't put new flooring in while someone's in there. You could probably put new appliances in while an existing tenant is in. If they at renewal said, hey, can I have the appliance upgrade? You probably could do that. But you can't do that with flooring. That's one of the a good example of that. So you can only do that when tenants move out. Well, if roughly half your leases at expiration renew and the other half become new tenants, 
then half your units every month that come up for renewal become available for you to do improvements on. Well, that would take you two years to cycle through everything. And even then you wouldn't get through all of them. So there's a factor like that, that needs to be taken care of in the underwrite so that when you can compare these, you could say, well, I could do the parking lot improvements, the covered parking I'm gonna do, I could do that within just a few months and get those leased out and have that incremental revenue probably within six months. If I do the $4,000 improvements, it's gonna take me two years to get all of that money deployed. And if I had to make a decision of one versus the other or how much of each I might do, that could ultimately play a role and the underwrite can help me do that. All right, so I've, I've teased it a couple of times here. There's one final factor that's involved in value add that uh, has to come into the equation. And again, the underwrite can help us account for it. And that is the value in not doing the value add, but in demonstrating the value of the value add. Here's what I mean by that. Maybe we have our property, we've owned it for several years, and we've done improvements. We've, we've done a quote-unquote standard upgrade. Uh, maybe we painted the cabinets, we resurfaced the countertop, we put vinyl plank flooring down, uh, an all-black appliance package. And in the market that we're in, we know that a number of our competitive properties are doing a solid surface counter they're doing new doors and drawers on the cabinets. Uh, they're going to another level up in terms of the improvements and they're getting pretty good money for it. We have an idea that that could work here, but we either don't wanna do it, right? We don't wanna put the capital in or we've already made the money we need to make on the property. We just wanna position it to sell. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a handful. We'll go do four or five units like that. We'll put that upgrade in. We'll get the best rent that we can for those particular units. And now when we go to market, we're able to show that 90% of the units could have this upgrade performed and could get this kind of rent. We're actually able to demonstrate what the value is because they can see how much incremental rent we're getting versus the uh, existing rent that we're getting for what is now a classic unit. So if that is the case, we're going to attract more interest. We're going to attract value add investors. And the more investors we can attract to look at our property, the better the price we're going to get, meaning the dollars per NOI will be higher. The cap rate will be lower. So there becomes a point when you're looking at doing value add work where one of the questions has to be, how much of this should we do? And at what point in time should we potentially stop and let someone else then finish the rest of it? I'll give you an example. And we'll just make this simple on ourselves. We have a hundred unit property and we're gonna do a basic upgrade, the $4,000 upgrade I just mentioned. We go through and we do that and we do eight units and 12 and so on. And we're getting good rents. We're not only getting good rents there, 
the overall rents have moved up to the point where our classic non-improved units are actually getting close to the improved rent that we wanted to get because rents are very strong in the marketplace right now. Well, as we get to 20 or 25 units, no more than 30, we would say, let's stop. Let's stop and take a breather and let's take a look at the marketplace. If we're getting the return we want without having to put those extra dollars in, then we've got an opportunity to improve our performance from an investment standpoint in two ways. One, if we decide we're not going to make any more improvements, we're going to simply manage the property, the condition that it's currently in, and we're already getting the rents that we want without having done the improvements, then our financial returns are going to be better and they're going to be boosted by the fact that we're going to now save a few hundred thousand, potentially several hundred thousand dollars in upgrade costs. Those are dollars that we can immediately take and if we don't have anything else to do with them, give back to our investor. We're also going to make us a more attractive property when we do go to market because now we have a very clear demonstrated value proposition. 30% of the property has been improved and is getting X plus $20, X plus $50, X plus $100, whatever the number is. So I can now look at the 70% of the property that isn't improved. What's it gonna to cost to improve those? How much is that increment that I'm gonna get? And that helps me build my own value add model as a prospective purchaser. And again, that's gonna bring more purchasers to the table more prospects, which is going to help us get a better value for the property at exit. In some instances, it will make sense to just keep going and improve all the units in the property. That is not always the case. I'd say in our experience, it's probably 50-50. Probably half the time it's made sense to continue the program. And about half the time, we've actually found that economically, we have met our objectives without having to deploy all that capital. And we can actually stand down on that work and then look when we go to market to be able to uh, see an even incrementally higher payout uh, by virtue of a lower exit cap than what we underwrote. So value add work is a key component in uh, generating returns while investing conservatively in multifamily real estate. Doing a quick back of the envelope analysis is extremely helpful in terms of being able to come up with a basic strategy. The only way to really perfect that strategy and to give it its full due is to plug it into the underwrite. And that again is another one of the reasons the underwrite is such a valuable tool. All right, folks, I hope you've enjoyed this week's session on underwriting. Uh, we've gone over uh, an enormous amount of material in the last, I think, almost two months now on the basics of multifamily real estate investing. Next week, we're going to take uh, a summary look at all of those items uh, and maybe add a little cherry on top from a few things. Uh, and then the week after that, we'll return to some of our uh, more traditional uh, topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, feel free to shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com, and I'd be happy to either answer your question, if it's a question, or 
if it's a suggestion, we'll put it into the mix and uh, uh, have that become part of our uh, curriculum as we, uh, as we move forward. So I hope you found this week's session valuable. If you have questions, let me know. Otherwise, please join me next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poland.